0: Thank you. Thanks for doing that. So this evening we're going to be talking about um, the meaninglessness of work in the midst of a wicked world. Um, I picked three or four topics to go through in the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll get to the end um, on Thursday. But a few topics that I thought would be relevant to to all of us. I think work is a topic that is relevant to all of us because uh, you will spend uh, 30% of your life at work. Is that a happy thought? (laughs) You spend 20, I mean, if you like your work, it's great. You spend 25 to 30 years of your life like at your work, in your vocation, like doing your job. You can spend about 30 years of your life doing that. And so the teacher knows that we're all thinking about work. The teacher knows that we all need to work. Uh, we'll get to that in a, in a moment. But if we're gonna spend so much time at work and we know that we live and we work in the midst of a wicked world, what, what does that mean? What do we do about that? And so this evening, um, the teacher's gonna really talk to us about our work environment. There's a lot of talk today about work environment, right? He's gonna talk to us about our work environment, not on the micro level, so it's not like any one of our companies, but he's gonna talk to us about our work environment on the more of the meta level, right? This is the world that we all live in, the world that we all work in, and this is the sort of work environment that, that we all work in. So we're, in a sense, all on the same page in that. We all are under this big meta umbrella. And so what the teacher does this evening is he, he gives us three observations about work and the kind of world that we live in, and then he gives us three potential responses. And uh, it's pretty short and tidy, but I'm going to work our way through We're going to start in verse 16 where he says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there, there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there, there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. And so if you're jotting notes down, and that's kind of the way you track, um, you could jot down notes, but there's slides up here. Uh, we work in a world filled with wickedness. That's what the teacher's trying to get across to us, that we work in a world that is filled with wickedness. Wickedness literally means morally wrong or iniquity. And the world that we live in is corrupt, and we know it. And yet we keep, we keep acting corruptly, we keep acting morally, Morally, now I don't mean we, all the people in this room. Although we have a tendency these ways, don't we? Um, but I'm talking the world in which we live, and there are all kinds of ways in which that comes out. I mean, there are families, and, and hopefully not any families in this room, but there are families um, with absent fathers or abusive fathers, and, and and that he and they all still have to go to work. Right? Um, there are people in this world that are constantly sinning against one another. People sin against us, and 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 the damage that sin causes in our life, but we still have to wake up in the morning, and we still have to go to work. Um, there are selfish and scheming bosses that, um, that sort of craft things in the workplace to go their way and to advantage them, but we still have to get up in the morning, and we still have to go to work. Um, there are jealous coworkers who may even do things covertly, um, that don't really benefit us, but be- benefit them, could even harm us, but we still have to wake up the next morning and we still have to go to work. Or maybe you work for like a very large corporation and at the top of that corporation there can be um, corrupt shareholders that sort of do what they do at the top, uh, again, to benefit a certain amount of people and, uh, and you have to go to work the next day knowing that. You go to work anyway, you still have to go to work. And there are un. Fair systems and structures that are marred by sin. We can go all the way up to, to the top where, where they exploit work and they exploit workers, but, but workers still have to go to work. And there are subtly, and there are more tyrannically, I believe, <laughs> governments that actually make policies and make laws that govern our work, that benefit them and not us as sort of common people, but we still have to get up and go to work. And you might be thinking, well, there has to be somewhere in the world that this wickedness isn't found. And the teacher says, no, that's, it's, there's, it's found everywhere. He says, it's found in the courts. In the place of justice, there was wickedness. So in the courts, right, Lady Justice, there's supposed to be a place of justice Maybe you feel like there's not so much a place of justice anymore. Some people say there's a two-tiered system of justice, even in the place that we live now. What the teacher's saying is even in the place where we expect justice, there is none. In the courts, but even says in the congregation, in the place of the righteous, in the place of righteousness rather, even there there was wickedness. And so maybe you actually know someone who does their work vocationally in a church. I do, and I know all kinds of people like that. And Dean and I have done a renewal ministry for pastors and their wives, missionaries and their wives for years, and we know countless stories of people that go to work in those environments, and there's even wickedness there. And there's even a lot of hurt there, and church scandals there. And so even the place where we expect wickedness not to be, it actually finds its way, and it creeps its way in. And theologians would call this idea um, total depravity, right, just in, in terms of our personal lives. Theologians would say that we're not, we're not as corrupt um, as we can be, but all of our lives have been corrupted by sin. So every area of our life has been corrupted by sin. And that includes uh, the p- parts of our lives when we, when we go to work. That means the parts of our lives when uh, maybe we're actually the, the employee at work or we're the employer at work. We're all corrupted in these ways. It's, sin has worked its way into everything. And that's true both personally and collectively, Right, so we could say that's true about our lives, that sin's works its way into all the areas of our lives personally, but sin has worked its way into all kinds of systems and structures into every industry. There's no industry that's free from the effects of sin, not even the church industry, right? not even the Christian industry. And, I, and I, I'll put industry in air quotes. I don't believe it's an industry, but even in that vocational field where well, we can find these sorts of things. I just want to pause this evening and I'm supposed to say, God sees this and God knows this. So if this is something that you struggle with, if this is a reality of your life and and maybe one of those things I listed or maybe it's something else that I listed, but you're thinking, yeah, but when I get home from you, I'm like, I still have to go back to that job. Like, I still have to go back to work. What I wanna pause and say is that God sees this and God knows this. And I also wanna say that the teacher sees this and the teacher knows this. And he knows that his readers are gonna be saying something like, well, then why doesn't God do something about it? If God knows this and God sees this and knows it, why doesn't he do something about it? So actually, for the first time in the book of Ecclesiastes, we've kind of skipped a, a couple chapters here to get to this chapter, but for the first time, the teacher touches on this idea that God actually will judge both the righteous and the wicked. And he does this actually at the end of the book, but he does it in verse 17 where he says, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there's a time for every matter and for every work. So for the first time, the teacher knows, like, we're asking the question, well, then why does this keep happening? He goes, God's going to judge it. And he tells him this actually in the last verse of this book, in Ecclesiastes 12, 14, where he says, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Right? We know that God is both loving and just. And for God to be loving, he has to be just. He has to judge sin and wickedness, and he has, we all know that in one way, and and he will, and we're going to talk about that a l- little bit later this evening. You might say, well, it's comforting to know that one day God will judge wickedness once and for all, but why is he allowed it in my day? I don't know if you've ever had that thought, but I have. It's, it's really comforting, actually, to know that, that God will one day judge all of this, right? He'll, he'll judge it all once and for all, but, like, it's still happening in my day. It's still happening in our day. It's still happening in my kids' day. Who knows how bad it's going to be when my kids, well, now my grown, our grown kids are getting big girl jobs and they have full-time jobs, they have work. When my 15-year-old son goes up and he has to go to work, he'll be in this kind of work environment. Who knows what it'll be like then? Why, why not now? The teacher knows this. And so in verse 18, he says, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them. That they may see that they themselves are but beasts. Ew, that's kind of hard to hear, don't, don't you think? I mean, too many people have this idea that people are inherently good, that humanity is inherently good, and that there's a few bad apples that have sort of upset everything for us, right? And if we could just deal with those people, then everything would be fine, and we could make a lot of progress. This is what progressive thinking thinks, that we are, we are inherently good as human beings, and there are a few bad apples, we need to deal with them so we can make progress and perfect humanity. And the teacher says, no, <laughs> God wants us to see that wickedness is present in all of us. It's pervasive in the world. And he says, to prove it, I'm just gonna say, like, all of humanity is acting animalistic. They're acting like animals. Like, we, we, we act and we don't think about it. That's what it means to act like an animal, right? Animals do things and they don't even think about it. We have a golden retriever, Cash, Um, We call him Cash Money for short, and he is a -a two-and-a-half-year-old golden retriever, and sometimes he's just the best dog in the world, and sometimes I'm like, you know, like, he just does things without thinking about them, and he's wired to do that. We could use other examples from nature. I'm sure we all get the point, don't we? That animals don't think, they just do. And this is what the author of Ecclesiastes is saying. He's saying, yeah, there's so much wickedness in the world because we don't, we, don't, we don't think, we just do. That's how bad it is. We just do this instinctively and instinctually. So look, he knows this won't be easy to believe. I don't know if it was Solomon or if it was a guy with Solomonic wisdom, but whoever it was, he's a genius. And if you study the book of Ecclesiastes, you see his genius as he, as he continues to anticipate the things that we are thinking. The teacher knows we won't easily believe this. And he knows that we're going to need some convincing. So he gives us actually two proofs that humans are acting just like animals on the, on the, on the large scale, right? The, the meta work environment that we have. We go to work every day in a work environment on the meta level where we're just acting like animals toward each other. And it starts in verse 19 where he says, For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast, it's the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of a man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. Someone was trying to convince me the other day that dogs are in heaven, and I don't know. I kind of hope so, but I'm not sure. Um... I think probably not, but it's an interesting thought. I I shouldn't have even said that because now you guys are all kind of by probably going like this, like squirrel. You know, that's what I just did, and I'm sorry. But but the reality is like th- th- what he's saying is that we we are alike in some ways, at least in in this in these ways. He's saying like humans and animals, they're they're all going to die. We we die just like animals do, and and animals will go from dust to dust, and that's true for us too. We'll we'll go to the dust again, and. Apart from the faith that we have in and through Jesus um, in the life beyond death, you know, who, could, who could really have anything to say about this? And this is what the teacher says. Who could really know whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? So apart from God revealing to that, that to us in his word and through the, in, in, through the person of Jesus Christ, we, we would never know that. How could you ever discern that? If you're just living life under the sun, S-U-N, and at the sun, S-O-N, you would never know these realities. Okay, so maybe you're thinking, if this is the world that we live in, and if it's really that wicked, then (laughs) what's the point of going to work? What's the point of the work? What's the point of engaging in our work? And the teacher gives an initial, yet not a complete response to this question, um, but he still has two more observations he wants to make. But for now, verse 22 says, So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work. For that is his lot, who can bring him to see what will be after him. The teacher is saying, in light of all this, we should enjoy our work in the ways that we can, even if we work in a wicked world. Even if the meta-work world, in the meta work environment is, is wickedness, even if that's primarily what, what sort of defines our meta-work environment, we should enjoy our work in the ways that we can. We all have to go to work for a living, um, unless you are a trust fund baby. Any trust fund babies here this evening? A trust fund baby would never raise their hand, right? Because we would all say, boo, <laughs> right? <laughs> unless you're a trust fund baby, like you're going to work when you go back from Hume. And the teacher tells us that, well, we as, might as well enjoy that. And, and I don't know, I thought of a few examples. I mean, we all have different gifts and abilities, we all have different kind of personalities, and we should enjoy going to work and doing our work with the gifts and abilities that God has given us and with the personalities that, that he's given us. Like, I'm horrible at working on cars, never learned how to do that, would not want to go to work to do that, I would fail, right? So like, but I can do other things, and there are other things that I know how to do that I'm gifted to do that I enjoy doing, and when I do them, it brings me a lot of joy. You probably really enjoy doing what you do, Right? And that's, that's why it's part, part of the reason why you do it. So we should get, take joy in our work, enjoying the things that we have with our gifts and our abilities, the personalities that God has given us. We should also enjoy the fruit of our work. Like my work, praise God, pays me, right? I, know I didn't get in my work because it pays me more than other work, it kind of doesn't, right? But my work does pay me and my work pays me to take care of my family and provide for their needs. There is fruitfulness that comes out of my work and what he's saying is you should enjoy that. Enjoy the fruitfulness that comes out of your work. And many times in the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to talk about it this week, he tells him like, eat food, drink wine, enjoy your work, enjoy your family. Like, this is what you should do. And he's kind of alluding to that here. Like There are things that, that our work provides for families, and we should take joy in that. We should take joy in that reality that our work helps us to provide for other people. Right? It's not just our families that our work provides for, but we get to give and support other people and other causes and when people don't have what they need, we actually have resource to be able to help other people in need, and our work provides that. And what a joy to give to missionaries and different causes. What a joy to be able to like, have a neighbor that needs something and to secretly slip some cash in an envelope in the mailbox and just to bless someone. like That joy comes from the labor of our work, so we should enjoy that. We should enjoy knowing that our work helps people to thrive. I'm not sure what all of you do, but I'm sure all of you do something that helps people to thrive in their life. Some of you do things that really, really help people to thrive in their lives. That's a beautiful thing. And you should enjoy that. And you should enjoy the fact that some of your work really works to thwart wickedness in the world in some way. And, you know, I was, I was, uh, I was riding the golf cart with, uh, with Coach. And I asked Coach if he replaced Charlie. And he said, no, no one replaces Charlie, right? But Coach is sort of doing Charlie's work. And Coach is, I think, head of security here now. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm talking to Coach, and the, rea- the re- reality is like when people are in law enforcement and things like that, I mean, it's so clear that their work is actively working to thwart evil and to help people have an environment where they get to thrive. And that's a beautiful thing. And so we should enjoy our work, is what the author of Ecclesiastes says. Okay. So we live in a world filled with wickedness, but there's another description that the teacher gives us. Remember, I said he had three observations? The second one is found in verses. 1 to 3 of chapter 4. Look at it with me. He says, Again I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I, and I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better that both is he who has not yet been born and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. So not only do we, we work in a wicked world, but he's saying part of the meta environment for our work is we work in an oppressed world. We work in a world that's filled with oppression. Not only is our word w- world wicked, but it, our wickedness often works itself out in things like oppression, which literally means extortion or tyranny, like denying people the ability to make a profit. This morning, I alluded to the reality that my son and I started a skateboarding business over COVID, right? And, um, and we're in our second full year and, and we're doing well and we're, you know, we're kind of getting right to that point. And you know, we, wanna, we wanna obviously make a profit. I don't wanna lose money doing work. <laughs> I like to make money doing work if I can, right? Uh, that's part of the point. And, uh, and when we talk about profit, like if, if you're thwarted in making profit from your work, that's a big deal. That's a big deal, and that happens all the time, all around the world. And the author of Ecclesiastes says it causes this extortion causes tears, right? The selfish boss that's sort of scheming behind you it produces tears. Sometimes people come home from work, and they shed tears. Right? They're jealous, and sometimes even like backstabbing coworkers and. And this produces a lot of grief. It produces tears. There are corrupt shareholders, right, who do things behind the scenes that, that have like, oppressive motivations, and it produces tears, sometimes on, on the level of all of the shareholders, not just one employee or worker. Right? There are unfair systems and structures that are marred by sin, and they, they produce so much oppression and extortion that there are entire people groups that are in tears, and there are subtly and overly, overtly tyrannical governments, again, as we said earlier, that, that make policies and laws that govern work that benefit them the most and really harm other people. And there are entire populations that go to work every day, either if they don't cry on the inside, they're just, they're crushed. And um, aren't you glad you showed up tonight? <laughs> it's just, this is part of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a reality. I mean, we can think about this on the international stage, and maybe we think about like the Uyghur population. We don't share their faith, but we share their humanity, and like those people are like being pressed down. We know that all over the world, like people are underpaid for their labor. You know, my son and I were like trying to source manufacturing, and we're looking at sourcing it around the world. We want to manufacture in the United States, and we have been, but we're, like we don't know if we can stay in business. How do we do that? Where else would we manufacture in the world if we could? Somewhere where people are treated fairly and they're paid fairly for their work and where they don't have child labor and where females aren't oppressed and i mean you got to think through all these things right i mean on the world stage this stuff happens and it even happens sometimes in our midst the teacher tells us that it's happened so often in the world in fact that he says it's better maybe that you've never been born even to see it because some of it's so bad so um, this teacher, he, he, he's painting a pretty bleak picture of the kind of world that we're called to work in, um, but he's going to paint one more sort of brushstroke on the metal level of our work environment. So we've got wickedness, all right? We've got oppression and extortion. And lastly, in verse four, he says, "Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from man's envy of his neighbor." This also is vanity, and it's striving after the wind. He says, we work in a world that's filled with envy. We work in a world that's filled with envy. And and the idea here is, is almost that we work in a world that's filled with envy, and the envy causes, if you work backwards, the envy causes the oppression, and it causes the wickedness. Our envy of one another and what each other has, what we gain from our work, the profit that we make from our work, it causes us to envy our neighbor and that, that is the spark that causes some of this oppression and some of this wickedness. And the wickedness and the envy and the oppression, it just builds on each other, builds on each other, builds on each other. Again, to the point where we have entire systems and structures that are built this way. The teacher tells us that envy is useless. He says it's vanity, it's striving after the wind because <laughs> someone will always have more. You know, someone will always have more. I, was, I, did a, I did a wedding in Kingsburg this weekend, and I was on and I visited some gigantic farms. I mean, I was like, Whoa. I, I literally could not believe it. But the reality is, like, there is a bigger farm. Like, the farm that I was on, as palatial as it was and as beautiful as it was, like, there's, there's going to be a, there's a bigger one. And there's someone that has a bigger house with a bigger pool and more orchards and, 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 and all of the things that come along with it. There's someone who always has more. All right, so, so wickedness, oppression, and envy. So have fun at work when you go home, right? From Hume from Lake. <laughs> so, how should people approach their work with all this wickedness and envy and oppression that goes on in the world? If that's the meta work environment, then what do we do? And the teacher knows that we're asking this question like, what do we do now? So, he says there's actually three responses to this work. And many commentators have, um, have looked at these three responses and made this observation, observation. Um, Sidney Gratinas is, is one guy that, um, in particular made this observation that they're all, they're all responses that include our hands. So at the end of our time this evening, I'm actually going to, going to walk through a little prayer exercise for all of us. And, and this is going to include our hands. So we're going to do a little interactive thing here right at the end. But, um, I want you to be thinking about that as we look at these, these responses. And I think that's probably because in the day and age that the teacher was speaking in, most people worked with their hands. This was the kind of work that they did. And so the three responses all include their hands. The first one is in verse five, where it says, the fool folds his hands and he eats his own flesh. The first response to all this is that we can just run from our work. Right, like if we live in a world that's filled with this kind of wickedness and envy and oppression, if it's that bad, and if your work environment is that bad, maybe we should just run away from our work. And I gotta tell you, there was a young man that came up to me after breakfast this morning, or after lunch this afternoon, and he was walking up and he said, "Hey, I heard your talk this morning, and I'm I'm like a Gen Z guy, and so I wanted I wanted to talk to you." And I was like, "Oh no, I totally offended this guy, right?" I'm sure I offended him when I said, like, what is Gen Z thinking about? I was like, I don't know. they're not thinking about anything. But he says, no, 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 no. You didn't offend me. He said, everything you said was, like, spot on. As a matter of fact, I'm a Gen Z guy trying to live my life in the midst of all, like, a huge friend group. They're all depressed. They're all depressed. They all just want to do nothing because they see this. And he was saying, they, they see that the world is wicked and envious and oppressive. I mean, he didn't use these terms, but he was saying, they see that the world is like this and they're depressed and they just wanna do nothing. And I was like, actually, I'm talking about that tonight, the great resignation. Talking about that tonight, the reality, there are a lot of people that see these realities in the world and how dark and heavy it is and they just wanna run away from their work. And I guess in some sense, it, some small, very small sense, it makes sense that that could be a reaction. In 2021, I'm just going to rattle off a few stats. I mean, over 47 million Americans left their jobs. Not refired, left their jobs at the, by the end of 2021. In 2022, on average, 4 million Americans quit their job. They didn't get fired. They quit their job every single month. Over 4 million Americans quit their job every single month in America in 2022. Today, as we sit here, 40% of workers are thinking about leaving their jobs in the next three to six months. (laughs) And conveniently, (laughs) the industry with the lowest percentage of quit rate is the federal government. (laughs) 0.7% of federal employees quit their jobs. But 4 million Americans on average left their jobs every month last year in America. Folded hands are a sign that we're acting foolishly. When we run from our work, it's a foolish response. Proverbs says this, uh, this way How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber. A little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Running from our work is not the response that we're looking for. There's a second response in verse 6. Look at it with me. It says, Better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and striving after wind. The first response is that we can run from our work. The second response is that we can, one, run too hard in our work, that we can run too hard in our work. There are a lot of people that are running too hard in their work, and I'll just make a confession, like, here this evening, and my wife can tell you, like, in this last season, there have been weeks I have run too hard in my work. Like I have, I have a lot of work that I, I love to do in our church and it, helping other pastors and churches to be renewed and revitalized. And now I'm mad <laughs> at my work that I'm doing with my son and we're, we started a company. Like I, I feel like I have a lot of capacity, but sometimes I just have, I have too much work. And and we're doing things to to mitigate those things. But I just want to raise my hand and say, this is a response. Sometimes this can be my response, is that if it's that hard and it's that wicked and it's that oppressive, then I'm just going to fix it. I'm going to overcome it, right? I'm going to run hard into my work and I'm going to get a double portion of everything so I can just beat this system. I'm going to beat it and that's not the right response either. If folded hands are a sign that we don't want to work, these two cupped hands is a sign that we want too much from our work. That the two cupped hands is it's too much. What he's saying is well, it's been said how much is enough and the answer from Ford was you know the quote just a little bit more. <laughs> I mean, ask Ford, like, how much is enough? And he's like, well, just a little bit more. And that's what these two hands are meant to show us, that we want too much from our work. But there's a third response. Verse six says, better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil in striving after the wind. The third response is that we can rejoice in our work. The first response is that we would actually run from it. The second response is we would run too hard into it. The third response is, is the, best, better, it's the best response, that we would rejoice in our work. In Ecclesiastes 3.22, again, it said, So I saw that there's nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work. So folded hands are a sign that we don't want to work. We're going to run away from our work. And a two-cupped hands is a sign that, that we want too much from our work. A handful is a sign that we are content with our work that we're content that God would give us a handful, which is pretty much, it's what we need right now. We're not coming like trying to cup everything we possibly can and getting our shirt out and trying to keep it all in. We're just, we just want to get a handful at a time. We're content with what God gives us today and what he's put in front of us today. It's enough, which might feel a little counterintuitive, especially in America, where we feel like we can just go and make it happen. And we, we can get the shirt, we can do the whole thing, and we're going to have more than a handful. We're going to carry it around like this maybe, right? And you say, no, it's just the best thing is just to go to work, to rejoice in the work that you have, and the provision that God makes for you in that. That's, that's, out. that's where it's at. Proverbs 15, 16, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it i got to tell you, when I hear that stuff, is that sometimes hard for you to believe? Anyone want to just admit, like, sometimes that's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that better is a little bit with the fear of the Lord than a lot with some of the trouble that goes along with it. Maybe you've thought before, whatever trouble it is, try me. (laughs) I'll try the trouble. I'll, I'll try it out. What kind of trouble are we talking about? The teacher's really wise. And the writers of the Proverbs are wise. There's one more response that not necessarily in this text, um, but when we talk about work under the sun, S-U-N, as Christians, we know we work under the sun, S-O-N. So there's one other response that I thought of, is, it, and it's, it's, again, it's not specifically in this text, but I think it surrounds this idea. Um, it's, not, it's not running from our work, right? It's not running too hard in our work. Um, it's related to rejoice in our work, taking what God has for us. But I think the fourth response is that we can think redemptively in our work and we can think redemptively about our work. So maybe when you heard the teacher's initial response about how the world is filled with wickedness and oppression and envy and so so that man should just enjoy their work, you maybe had this thought like, is that it? So like, that's all? I mean, it sounds, pretty, it sounds pretty great to enjoy your work and enjoy the fruit of your work, but like, is that, is that all that there is? Verse 22 So I saw that there's nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Is that really our lot? That's it? Just to enjoy our work? And say, I think as we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, the answer is outside of a relationship with God, Outside of us living our life under the sun, S-O-N, that's absolutely what it is. That is absolutely the lot, is that you, would, you, you and I would go to work and we'd get some measure of enjoyment in our work. We might even press back against some of the darkness unbeknownst to us. Non-Christians do this all the time. God uses people that don't know him to do jobs that push back darkness in, in some way. And what an incredible thing to be a part of, even unbeknownst to you. Um... There is joy and even some meaning in the work that we do, even the work that non-Christians would do, just under the sun, S-U-N. But there's a lot of really great work we can do, redemptive work that we can do, when we live our lives under the sun, S-O-N, right? When we can think about our lives, work lives redemptively. Then when we can go in and redeem the things that are part of our work that are hard or difficult, and we can use those things and ask God to use those things redemptively for the sake of other people. So maybe, maybe you are in a job where you're like, I'm going to go <laughs> on Monday when I get back from Hume. And I know it's hard. I know my boss is like that. I know I have these challenges. But there's this person that I work with. And there's something redemptive in it for them. Right? There's something redemptive in it in that relationship. Or I know guys that uh, are in companies. I know a guy in a company Um, anyway he's a right-hand man he's a deacon in my church to a um, to a giant um, family legacy liquor distributor and he's like why am I in this industry this is crazy but he believes God has him there to be alongside that guy and that guy's wife (laughs) loves my friend because my friend keeps that guy honest he travels the world and places with him and he asks him questions no one else is gonna ask him and he comes alongside him and he looks for opportunities to share the gospel and he tries to, to work redemptively in his life in the midst of a very, very dark industry. Like there are all kinds of ways that our work can be used redemptively as Christians. And what, a, what an incredible joy that is. That's the fourth response. That's not in the text, but it surrounds this concept for us because we know that we're in Christ. And so at the end of the day, um, you know, there was an ultimate work that was done. And one of the things I love about Hume is whenever you get invited to, to open up God's word here, um, you always know that uh, they want you to, to highlight the truth of the gospel when you do. And I love that. We do that every week at our church. Um, I have this good news statement that I use in all of the teaching opportunities that I do because I want to end with that every time because I want my attention to be drawn to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want all of our attention to be drawn to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter what we're talking about, including our work, and including from the book of Ecclesiastes, even like a book like Ecclesiastes. So I just want to end our time by saying um, that God created work in the beginning so that humans could flourish in their relationship with him and one another. So do you believe that? That God created work in the beginning So that humans could flourish in the relationship with Him and in the relationship with each other. Um, That's called the creational mandate. In a little teaching scheme I use, I use these four greats. I'll call it the great mandate. It is a great mandate. It's the cultural mandate that we would take the things that are in front of us and that we would cultivate them and we would steward them in such a way that it would cause us to flourish in our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. But we all know um, the way that story, um, the way that story, well, unfolded, the way wickedness and oppression and envy entered the world, entered, entered the world through sin. And if you think about it, this was Satan's sin in a sense, that he wanted to be like God, he wanted to surpass God. There's some kind of envy, something's going on there. I want to be like, I want to be above the most high. And I just wonder like, if that was something that was in the, in the mix there, this idea that, Adam and Eve wanted something outside of God and their relationship with him. Maybe envy was part of that in some way. Maybe it was part of the first sin. I know there's all kinds of things that were wrapped up in it, but mainly believing that there's something outside of what God had created them. God had created this perfect work environment, right? This perfect meta work environment for them. And yet they wanted to go outside of that envy and wickedness and oppression enters the world. And we've all seen how that has impacted the world. And the systems and structures in the world, we talked about this this evening, even governments, and it trickles its way down into micro work environments at your work, or your work, or your work, and it, it happens all the time in all kinds of industries, and all over the world. It's the effect of sin marring our world. And God sees, and God knows, right? And so God wasn't content to leave us in this place, as we talked about this morning, but God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And isn't it interesting that as Christians, when we talk about what Jesus did, we call it, it, was the work of Christ. That Jesus was a worker. Jesus had a job, right? We all know he was a carpenter. Jesus did human work and he did, he did some other kind of work too. He did some divine work. We call it the work of Christ. Jesus living a life that we could never live, a sinless life, and then Jesus dying a death that we should have died on the cross in our place, and for our sins. We call this the work of Christ. And the way the reality of that work that he's done for us impacts our work makes all the difference in the world. If we believe that's true, that Jesus lived a life we could never live, died a death we should have died, rose to prove it, and to free us to live a life we could never have otherwise, one that is forgiven for sin, and now free to live life the way God intended us, now we can go back as best we can. We can go back to the garden, so to speak. And there will be a day where actually Jesus will return and the consummation will happen and there'll be a recreation and we will be taken back, not just to the garden, but better, (laughs) better than that. And I actually think as I look at the Bible, I think we're probably gonna be working. (laughs) I mean, he's gonna probably put us to work. It It sounds like to me that he's gonna put us to work. And it's gonna be great. Can you imagine working in a perfect work environment with a perfect boss? perfect means, perfect ends, all of it. (laughs) There's nothing thwarting your work. How amazing would that be? It's gonna be like that. And because we're Christians now, it it affects all of the parts of our work. And so I wanna end our time this evening by just drawing our attention to the book of Colossians because it talks about this. There are other epistles that do, but in Colossians chapter three, it says this about employees. So if you're an employee, maybe this is the way that would impact you. And there is no partiality. Knowing these realities is like someday that, that is all going to be taken care of. Like God, God, will, God will take care of all of the justice in the end. If you're an employee, what, what you would have to worry about this evening and as you go back to work, what you would be able to focus on enjoy because of the truth of the reality of the gospel is that you would be able to whatever you do, whatever you do, do it heartily. As to the Lord and not to men and work in a way that's redemptive I and mean, God would by his grace use that somehow in the lives of the people that you work with maybe even the entire industry that you work in maybe you would infect an entire movement there's some people who worked in entire people groups and countries it's amazing where God places his people I'm talking about that some of you are employers some of you employ other people so some of you are the employer not necessarily the employee so in chapter 4 he says masters treat your bond servants justly and fairly knowing that you also have a master in heaven so if you're a christian you have a boss <laughs> right someone was telling me in my i just finished up a master's cohort this last year um it was a three-year program and um and this one guy said yeah you know like I am I am I am the CEO of my life and 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 I and and the talk I was like something rubbed me wrong I was like that's not true you're not the CEO there's someone above you like kind of was saying like how dare you say you're the CEO like you're the chief executive offer, uh, officer of your life so kind of take a deep breath and I approached the guy tried to do that humbly and said you know you said this thing about you being the CEO and that just I don't know it just kind of rubbed me wrong it felt a little off because it feels like actually, you're, like, you're supposed to be submitted to someone else. And he said, oh, man, I'm sorry sorry, you misunderstood me. <laughs> this guy's been in business, of course. He says, um, no, I, I'm the CEO. Like, I'm, I'm the chief executive officer under my life, but, but I'm accountable to a board of directors, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry for misunderstanding you. I get it now, right? Like, you do have the chief responsibility over your life but you do have a board of directors and they're they're the right ones, right? So as Christians, we all have a master. We all have a board of directors that we are accountable to. Um, And so as we are employers and we employ other people, we treat them justly and fairly because our master is just and he's fair, correct? I think the good news at the end of this is that we can rejoice in our work And we can think redemptively about our work because of the work Jesus has done for us. So as we think about the book of Ecclesiastes and the meaninglessness of work in the midst of a wicked world, the good news for us as Christians is that we can rejoice in our work and we can think redemptively about our work because of the work that Jesus has done for us. And I hope that's good news for you tonight. That's good news for me. (laughs) I love saying this stuff because whoever's hearing it, I need to hear it as much as anyone else does. And I need to hear this this evening, and uh, it's good news for me, and I hope it's good news for you. Um, can I invite you into a little interactive prayer exercise? Is that all right? Will you guys, would you guys participate in that with me? All right. Can I just ask all of you just to bow your heads and bow your hearts um, so that we can, just, we can just kind of do this, I don't know, a little bit anonymously, right? We're all adults here. Um. So what I want you to do is um, I want to remind you that there's, there's these three different postures of the hands, the response of the hands. The first one is um, the hands that are folded. And that's, that, that, that symbolizes this idea that in some way, somehow, we are running away from our work. Now, I'm not saying maybe necessarily that you just don't want to work. You want to be part of the great resignation, but, but you're running away from something in your work. Um, I want to remind you that the, the, the two cupped hands is, is just sort of a reminder, maybe a symbol. A, it's an indication, it would be, that, that you just maybe want too much from your work. You're running too hard into your work. And the third one is just the, the single hand that you're rejoicing in your work and contented with all that God's given you in that work. And you're just contented in that place. And so I just want to start there. And if that's the place that you are, I just want to ask you to hold that one hand out in front of you and just give prayers of thanks to God. And if that's the place you're in today, please, please, you know, just right in front of you, hold out that one hand and just tell God, this is where I am. And just thank him because it's his grace and you know it. If that's not you, I want to ask you to just to to place your hands for a moment in the place that they are in. If your hands are folded right now because you are running away from your work in some way, I just, just fold your hands just for a moment because I, I, I want you to acknowledge that and I just want you to feel that for a moment. And if you're the two-cupped hand person and you're, you're running too hard into your work because you want too much from it, just hold those two hands out cupped for just a moment because again, I want you to acknowledge it and I want you to, I want you to, um, I want you to feel that for a moment. If your hands are folded or if your two hands are cupped, I just want you to confess to Jesus right now that, that you're either running from your work and tell him what it is. He already knows. Just confess it to him. He already knows exactly what it is. Don't hide any part of it, just be com- brutally honest with him. He, he sees it all. If your hands are two hands are cupped, just tell them why. There's some kind of insecurity there. Maybe you feel like it'll, you know, you won't have enough or you won't have enough later in life. That's mine. I'm sc- to be honest with you, I'm scared. I'm scared about later in life and what I what I <laughs> what it's going to be like then. So I'm 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 holding my hands out two cupped in some ways. Just confess to him what it is. going to give you 30 seconds to do that. And I know that when it's quiet, 30 seconds sound feels like an eternity, but just, just going to give you 30 seconds to make that confession. Now I'm just going to ask you to end our prayer time by, with your head bowed, your eyes closed, just put that one hand out. And if your hands were folded, please unfold them. And if your hand, two hands were cupped, please uncup them. And please, if you would, just hold out your one hand. And just, again, if this is the place that you've been all along, just continue to thank God for that. Thank Him for His provision. Maybe you're going to ask Him what He wants you to do with some portion of it. And if, if you're someone whose hands were folded or your two hands were cupped, hold out that one hand and just, would you just ask him for his grace to, to be content in your work with that one hand? And would you ask him to help you to think redemptively about your work? Would you ask him to show you one, just one, Lord, will you show me one way that I can act? What, what one redemptive thing that I can do when I go back to work? Jesus, I just want to say on behalf of all of us that um, we're so thankful for the work that you have done for us, the work we could not do for ourselves that even enables us to go through a little exercise like this and even even have the concept in our minds, in our hearts, that work can be redemptive, that is not possible without the truth of the gospel. And we thank you that we don't have to be the kind of people that will just toil night and day under the sun, S-U-N, and then at best just enjoy some of the fruit that comes from our work, But that we get to enjoy the redemptive work that, can be attached to our work and it wouldn't be possible without you. And so Jesus, we thank you. And we thank you in your name. Amen.